Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we just read these verses of Genesis, it seems like our text today is simply talking about the familiar situation of a spoiled 17-year-old youngest child seeking attention and affirmation from his older cynical brothers. Not only does he seem to tattle on his older brothers, but many people have expressed their disappointment in Joseph for even telling his family about the dreams that he had that clearly made him look better than they were. Others have been quite distracted by the coat, the robe that Jacob gave to Joseph says a robe, and then the word that follows it could mean panels, it could mean palms of the hand, it could mean palms of the, the, or the bottom, the soles of the feet. There's different versions, different translations of the, the expression. So a Latin translation says it's a coat of many colors. A Greek translation says it's a coat with special embroidery, all different attempts to, to interpret what it means. The Literal of the Hebrew would say it's a long-sleeved or a coat that reaches to Joseph's feet. And what, it, what kind of coat was it? And so it's a distraction to many people. And there is certainly a danger of using this chapter, these verses of Genesis to give lessons about the harm that is caused by favoritism. And it's even, you can even refer to the law in Deuteronomy 21 verses 15 to 17, or you can use the chapter to have lessons about how to be a good brother, or maybe three steps to proper dream interpretation. Doing that, though, you would miss out. You would miss out on the fact that this chapter is really not about Joseph. It's about the sovereign God who reveals his plan to his people. The text today is more than just another story that we need to learn. It's water and the wells of salvation that heals us, that makes us well. As Genesis 37 reveals God's sovereignty, his omniscience, that he knows all things, even things that will happen in the future, as it reveals his providential care over his people, we can see how the Lord is preparing Israel for the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he's also preparing his church of all time for life in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. And then we see how the passage connects to us today. The verses teach us about our Savior. The verses teach us about how to live in the kingdom of our Savior. I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, Joseph's dreams reveal God's plan to have his people united under one ruler. We'll see that his, Joseph's dreams point to Christ's coming, they highlight Christian character, and they reveal God's constant care. Whenever we read Genesis, we need to read it in the flow. We don't take one text out. We need to see where we are in, in the history, unfolding history of God's revelation. So we read a little bit from Genesis 35. 
you can page to chapter 36, you can see that that's talking about, it's talking about Esau's descendants. And just before chapter 36, we read in the end of chapter 35, verse 29, that Isaac died and Esau and Jacob were there together. And then chapter 36 tells us that, that Esau withdrew himself from the church. He, he abandoned the, the place where God said he would be working. He abandoned the place where God was carrying out his, his covenant promises. He left the promised land and he went to go to Mount Seir or Edom. But chapter 37 verse 1 tells us that, that Jacob, he remained in the place of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. Jacob's family was the, the church in that day because he believed in the God of, of Abraham and Isaac. And he returned to the place that God had chosen for his name to dwell. But when J Joseph, Jacob, after spending some time away from the promised land, when he got back home, he could see that much of what God had promised in Genesis 12 and then in Genesis 15 and then again in Genesis 35, a lot of what God had promised had not been fulfilled. And so as we move into the next major section of the book of Genesis under the title that you find in verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob, we're still looking for the great nation that God had promised to Abraham. We're still looking for that land that is their own and does not belong to, to any of the Amorites. And so the Holy Spirit leads us into the next chapter of God's plan of redemption by setting the stage and by telling us that before Isaac died, and we need to know that Isaac died while Joseph was already in Egypt, and probably even before Rachel died, it's referred to in one of Joseph's dreams, Joseph was his father's favorite son, the youngest of all the children, and he had some dreams that made his brothers hate him and even sell him into slavery. When Genesis 37 verse 2 mentions that Joseph was with the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah, that's Dan and Naphtali, and Zilpah, the sons Gad and Asher, then the Holy Spirit is showing us how the brothers were identifying themselves by their mothers and how this was creating divisions and even feelings of superiority among some of the brothers. Then Genesis 37 goes on to tell us that God spoke to the church at that time through a man who was given a very unique position in his family because he was favored by his father and he was hated by his brothers. And so whether they listened to him in order to justify their hatred or to justify their love for him, the covenant people would certainly listen to anything that Joseph would speak. And so he would serve as an instrument in God's hands to reveal his plans to his people. So God sends Joseph two quite similar dreams. We, we read them there in verse 7 about the sheaves, and then verse 9 about the sun, moon, and, and stars bowing before him. 
And the two dreams are similar and they're repeated. And if you look at Genesis 41, verse 35, the idea of repeating dreams was to to make it clear that they would certainly be fulfilled. And since Joseph told his brother and even his father uh, the dreams, it's very likely that he recognized that they were unique revelations that were different than the regular dreams that we receive at night. And so it happens that Joseph tells his brothers and his father his dreams, which revealed that he would be raised up and honored above all his family, and that he would be treated as their king and as their ruler as they bowed before him. And to the brothers and perhaps even to his father who rebuked him, his his dreams looked like the egocentric musings of a teenager seeking attention. But for us... But for us who look at this text through New Testament eyes, we can see that God is showing his church how he plans to move his people forward as he carries them to their Messiah. Hebrews 11 tells us that the patriarchs, the faithful in that time, they had that that long-term perspective. They were looking forward all the time to see how the Lord would fulfill his plan to send a Messiah. So Joseph and the church of Jacob's day, they could look through the window of the dreams to see what the future kingdom under the Messiah would look like. They could see God's plan, that God's plan to use Joseph to unite the 12 tribes into a nation pointed to a day when when all Peoples united together would bow before their Messiah, who would be a human like one of them. And as we read Genesis 37, it's like we're we're looking through the same window that Joseph was looking through, that Jacob was looking through. We're looking over their, their shoulders to see the building blocks on which the church today is built. And from our blessed perspective, knowing the fulfillment of the promise, we can see how the dreams point to our Lord Jesus Christ and how he brings unity to the church. We can also see how he would be a Messiah king that would be born from the nation that God was forming through Joseph. Both the dreams about the sheaves and the dream about the sun, moon, and stars. They point to a cooperation and a unity among the members of Israel, Jacob's house, that was, not, was yet unknown to Jacob. It was unknown to his sons. You see, when they heard these dreams, they were all still jealously thinking about how Jacob's special attention to Joseph and their different mothers kept them apart. They were focusing on the things that that kept them apart. And through Joseph's dreams, God let them know that he had other plans for his kingdom. And God showed that he would use Joseph to form one nation, the nation that he had promised already to Jacob. He did this to bring the 12 tribes together in preparation for their brother who would be raised up from among them. 
Years later, when God's promise was fulfilled and the tribes were united to form one nation, God's desire for unity in the church extended to include other nations. That's why we could sing a a psalm like Psalm 122. We saw that also in Isaiah 11, when God promised that many different nations would gather under the flag of Christ Jesus. We see that in the desire, the will of God for unity in the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ in John 17, when he prayed that they might be one. And to this day, we pray that God's will might be done, that there may be unity in the true faith under Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so the scene of of Jacob and his divisive sons bowing down together before Joseph, it was just a step along the way that happened once a long time ago in history. And yet it pointed to the day that God was preparing for all believers in all places in the world as they bowed before the one ruler that God exalted before Jesus Christ. That's how the kingdom would look. That's the structure of God's plan of salvation. The dreams also reveal to us that our Savior, Jesus Christ, took on human nature. He was one of us. Through the dreams, Jacob and his sons received a promise that was later repeated by God through Moses in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and 18. Verse 15 says, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. The plan of God to save us would happen through a brother with the same human nature as we have. A brother who Paul says in Romans 8 verse 29 would be the firstborn among many brothers. Hebrews 2 verse 11 explains the nature of Jesus Christ in this way when the Holy Spirit says, and we read that together, for he who sanctifies And those who are sanctified have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them, to call us, his church, his brothers. He is not ashamed to call us his brothers. The question is, do we trust in God's word enough to humble ourselves before him and call this brother our Lord and our Savior? see God's sovereign plan in Joseph's dream also then highlights Christian character. God revealed his plan, that his plan of salvation would come through the process of raising up one of God's covenant children and having the rest bow before him. The difficulty that this causes for proud people, is seen when we think about what this really looks like. Instead of just saying the words, and it's quite easy for us to say today because we we imagine uh, a Jesus who is much greater than just one of us. Instead of just saying the words, you need to submit to Jesus Christ. 
Think of it from the perspective of the brothers who heard the dream. They were told that their youngest brother at that time, probably the youngest at the time, would be exalted above them regardless of his lower social position. We read in our text that Joseph's brothers hated Joseph all the more when they heard the dreams, the idea of submitting to him. They were jealous of Joseph. Why him? Their reactions reveal a lot about human sinful nature that we continue to struggle against today. We understand the proud, independent spirit that makes us very critical of those we must bow before. The Pharisees faced the same thing. Put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish leaders. They knew Jesus as the son of Mary and Joseph, one of them. They thought he was born in Galilee. Some knew Bethlehem, but others thought he was born in Galilee. And all could see that he was an Israelite, just like they were. It's it's the shame, in a sense, of, of the human nature of Christ. The humility of our Lord. They could see that. We understand, then, the pride that leads us to be jealous of the position given to another person that we think we could fill much better than they could. Then think of the Jews after, after Christ rose, but the Jews who did not believe in the resurrection, the people who did not believe in the resurrection. It would not be easy to believe and submit to someone who is just like us and crucified on a cross as a criminal. And yet that's what God calls us to do. To bow, to humble ourselves before a human who was condemned as a criminal on the cross by the Romans. We find the idea of submitting to someone that is just like us is so offensive that we probably even justified the hatred and the jealousy of the brothers. How did you react when you read Genesis 37? Did you react like I did at the beginning where you put the blame on Joseph, or sorry, on Jacob? Put the blame on Jacob because he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, and so we we justify the anger, the pride, the brothers. Or we want to justify the the way that the brothers broke the sixth commandment. And then we do it and we say, well, it's Joseph's fault. He gave his father a bad report about his brothers. He was taking advantage of a father's special love for him as a son. He was accepting the robe. He accepted the robe. He, he allowed his brothers to see the visible evidence of his father's preference. He, he told his brothers about the dreams that he had dreamed. Why should we submit to that kid? Can you imagine how hard it was to hear, to believe that the brother 
that their brother was to be a ruler over them. Can you imagine, can you understand then how it is difficult to understand what we confess when we say that Jesus Christ, a human like one of us, is our eternal ruler. For the Pharisees, for the, for the Jews, for, for the brothers, it's like hearing some, some common-looking person that you knew since he was a child, now in the church foyer outside there today, claiming that he had come down from heaven and we need to submit to him. We see, brothers and sisters, how we have a, a nature of proud independence. We have a nature that tends to be very critical, the plans of others, especially if it requires us to submit. And on the one hand, we could say this is a good thing, it's a blessing. The Lord allows us to protect ourselves against false prophets, against false uh, rulers. We don't be led astray by every wind of, of teaching. And on the other hand, we realize how that pride can actually hinder our full submission to Jesus Christ and his word. And we need to be very careful that we don't become so proud of ourselves that we despise God's very revelation. The nature of the structure of God's kingdom revealed also in Joseph's dream serves to warn us against rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ who humbled himself and rejecting him because of our pride or our selfishness or our divisive spirit. So what kind of attitude and character will Christians have? What kind of character does the Holy Spirit give to those who live in the kingdom of God? Well, we can see it very clearly. The opposite of pride is humility. The willingness to submit to another, to trust in another completely for our salvation. Now Joseph's brothers were the first to hear the call that they would need to submit to have that character. But Joseph himself would also discover that although he was the exalted ruler in these dreams, even he and his descendants would have to bow before another king. If you go to Genesis 49, verses 8 to 10, you'll see that the brothers are told they would bow before another, before Judah. You read that even Joseph and his descendants would have to bow before Judah and the descendants of a king from the line of Judah. They would have to bow before Jesus Christ. And so what is our characteristic? What is our character, brothers and sisters? We are a people who trust completely in the work of God in Jesus Christ. When we willingly submit to Jesus Christ, our human brother, our Lord, and our master, then we understand the picture of the kingdom that Joseph's dreams pointed to. We think about that practically in your own life, about your own attitude. Do you have a humble heart before Jesus, your Lord, so that you are willing to follow him in obedience, in obedience to his word? 
Or do you act like a jealous older brother who resents what he calls you to? Think that you know better. The second thing that we can see in God's kingdom is that besides exalting Jesus Christ as our only king and ruler, God may also decide to use some of your brothers or sisters as special instruments in his hand to serve the furtherance of his kingdom. Unity means humility. To have unity, we need to be humble and brothers who cooperate with one another. Although it was a difficult and a thankless job, a job that continues to be discouraged by people who make fun of tattletales, who think it's unkind to bring sins to the attention of the elders, when Joseph reported the wickedness of his brothers to Jacob, the leader of the church, he served as God's instrument when I, read, when I read the commentaries, uh, I could see why mutual discipline, according to Matthew 18, is so rare in the church today. I think we need to distinguish very carefully between lazy, unconcerned, or malicious tattletales and responsible, loving reporting that follows personal admonitions. Joseph loved his brothers. Joseph loved the Lord. And Joseph reported sins to the head of the church, the leader of the church. And it makes us think, brothers, are we as a congregation willing to support, to encourage the instruments that God has raised up among us? Do we recognize how God has called us to, to work together, to grow together as a united body? Do you sincerely rejoice in the special gifts and the blessings and the work of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you find that you tend to cut anyone down who shows gifts because you are envious or critical or like the brothers unwilling to speak peacefully with those who have been given these opportunities. When we recognize that Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, our risen and exalted King and brother, is working in the world through men and women like you, like I in this church, then we will recognize how important for the unity it is to encourage one another. Well, men and women who show evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives by their humble and submissive, obedient, and loving characters can be assured of their place in this kingdom of God, a kingdom where Christ is exalted and his people unify themselves beneath him. And we have comfort even in hardship now we look at this chapter from a little bit of a different angle. We see God's continual, constant care. And when we go home today after the worship services, uh, we will all return to many different situations. Many of us will be going to Bible studies or family gatherings or to a quiet evening of reading and conversation. 
Some will go to the hospital. They will go and visit their, their husband. They'll go and visit their, their father, their grandfather, or a friend. Some of us need to, to go back to take some medication for a physical illness or injury. Others for mental disorders and depression. And many of us will reflect and converse about the work that we are doing, the challenges of seeking to serve God in a hostile environment. It's in these moments that it would be good to reflect not only on the content of Joseph's dreams, but also on the fact that God decided to send them to Joseph and his church ahead of time. Just think about that. Why did God send those dreams to Joseph ahead of time? Do you see what that tells you about God? He wants you to know. He wants his people to know that he has a sovereign plan. He wants his people to know that not even our suffering is beyond his control. Joseph's dreams reveal God's commitment to keep his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Later in his life, Joseph could know that both his suffering and his glory were all part of God's sovereign, eternal plan. We we read that Joseph remembered the dreams when his brothers were bowing before him in Egypt. That's Genesis 42, verse 9. He, He remembered the dreams were on his mind. The comfort of God's sovereign plan was was with him. If he had remembered when he was in the pit, or if he was in that caravan to Egypt, or if he was in his prison cell, he would have been greatly comforted to know that his faithful covenant father had a plan, and it was good. And as we reflect on the message of the text today, we can also recognize that the work of Jesus Christ is not an afterthought. Our God is not a frantic God trying to to respond to the needs of, of a sinful people, but everything is in control. He is sovereign. He knows all things. Nothing happens by chance. Now think about your life again. You are a child of a covenant father who is also almighty, eternal God. This glorious, loving God is carrying out his plan He's fulfilling his promises. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we believe that I preach to you today is that it was always God's plan to save his elect through his son, Jesus Christ. You are a part of an eternal plan. And he is carrying out this plan throughout the centuries of history. Nothing can dissuade him. Joseph's dreams were like windows that reminded and showed to him that behind it all there was a great plan of a sovereign God who would make all things work together for our salvation. We also may need to suffer because of illness or injury, because of our faith, because of the envy and pride of competition of others, yet we may always be assured that our faithful God is constantly caring for us. Brothers and sisters, let us trust in him. Let us rest in his wisdom. Let us know that God knows the end from the beginning. He will always keep us in his cares, in his care. And so we see 
that Genesis 37 verses 1 to 11 reveals the sovereignty of God, reveals his omniscience, that he, his knowledge of what is coming afterwards, reveals his providential care for his covenant people. And as we read about the way he prepared Israel for the coming, coming of Christ, we realize what a privilege it is to be a part of his eternal plan. May we learn what it means to humble ourselves before our Lord Jesus Christ and live in his kingdom in the unity of true faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.